This is Matt. I'm the lead pastor at Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. My prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, If we can connect you with a local church or discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at discoverwbc.com. celebrate today. I'm super glad to be able to celebrate this with you today. Nick preaching, Casey being baptized. Um, and as Nick comes, I want to call forward our pastors. Um, they're going to lay their hands on um, Nick. So Bill and Pastor Glenn, if you would come forward. And also Steve, Mickey, and John, if you guys will come forward. Um, so if you don't know the journey of Nick, man, a lot of emotions in this moment. <laughs> Um, I don't tear up about a lot of things. You can ask my wife. Hold on. <laughs> um, so a couple years ago, Nick came to our church discovering, just in a season of discovery, um, and just searching for what God had for him in his life, um, or just if there was a God, and all these different things. And uh, in Alpha, it was just me and him, and occasionally a couple other guys, including John and Mickey, and Occasionally some guys stepped in, but it basically got the opportunity to spend one-on-one time with Nick, which I don't get all the time with everybody in the church. Coming from that, he committed to a D group. He committed to baptism, and he committed to Christ. And I think in that, that whole journey, I've been able to watch him through the way, through this whole journey, and see him grow in passion, in desire for Christ and his word, in maturity and leadership, and submission and humility to what Christ had for his life. To the point where a couple months ago he came and said, and I mean, sometimes like as pastors, we pray and we seek and we're like, man, God, I think you might have something for this person, but don't let me move ahead of what you have, right? You know what I'm saying? I don't want to push people into something that God's not leading them into. But when Nick came and he just gave me like the sliver of maybe, I was like, let's run. <laughs> like, yes. What I remember in the, in the field at, uh, with Brandon Johnson and Ashley Johnson's house um, and just this moment. At a, at a young marriage ministry where he gave me just the opportunity to, and, and God gave us the opportunity for Nick to possibly come in as a pastoral intern. So we moved on it. We kept progressing on it. And today, Nick has been in a, our pastoral internship, learning from Pastor Bill and from Pastor Glenn and from myself and growing in his leadership and his pastoring, his shepherding, and his, and his preaching. So a couple weeks ago, we said, hey man, would you preach this passage to us? He preached it. And I said it to the guys, to the pastors afterwards. I said, our church needs to hear this message. And so God is just simply using his voice to be the one that speaks this message. But church, I can't say this enough because this is a community thing. What just took place in this baptism, though it is an individual thing, you surround around her. You give so that these things might happen. You come so that these things might happen. You serve so that these things might happen. I want you to see this. This is not a moment to celebrate Nick or myself or this church. What this is, is the moment to celebrate what we're doing. Because what we're doing is raising up the next generation of pastors, the next generation of ministry leaders, the next generation of people that are going to lead people to Christ. That's what we're doing. And so Nick, my brother, I'm so thankful that you get to preach. It is a blessing to be able to share that spot with you, to be able to share that spot with these guys as well. And so with your D group who invested in you, and your pastors who are investing in you. We're going to pray over you. Just spend a moment just praying over this young man that you guys are helping to raise up. If you're new to this church and you're like, what is happening right now? (laughs) 
what are y'all doing? All these things are taking place. It's not necessarily the norm, but you get to celebrate a, a lot of investment through the years. And I hope that you might would see this and go, hey, I want to do that too. And if you want to do that too, come get on board with us. Follow Christ and join the church and do this because it's not just about sitting in seats and soaking up word. It's about raising up young men and women to serve God in this church and in this community and globally. So we're going to pray over you, Nick. Father, I thank you for this young man who's been raised up, who is leading, loving, shepherding, caring for people, investing in his family, and loving Missy and Liliana. God, I thank you for how he has invested in me and challenged me, occasionally rebuking, correcting, and training. I thank you for how he has encouraged me, speaking words of wisdom, inspiring me to continue on, not to give up, to keep the faith. So Father, I thank you for him as a person. I thank you for him and his leadership in this church and what he's already meant to this church. I pray, God, that these words would be used and would not come back void as your word promises they won't. I pray that you use them to, to do what, you've, what only you can do, is to change hearts. Because, God, we know that these words cannot, but you can. Use these words, your spirit moving in these lives, to convict and compel. So, God, I pray that you would give Nick energy, passion, power of authority of your word, and God, use him to preach a mighty word today. We love you and we thank you for Nick. Use him for the rest of his life and whatever you see fit, and we'll just support him. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh-oh. Good. All right. Thank you all for being here. Um, Got to take a moment to control my emotions a little bit. Thanks for that, Matt. Um, so if uh, yeah, it's it's an honor to be up here today. Uh, <clears throat> if you would have told me, uh, and actually I did talk to Casey. If you if you would have told Casey that her older cousin would be preaching the sermon for her baptism, she would have said you were crazy. And you can ask my family, they would agree. Um, but by God's grace, I'm here, and uh, I'm so thankful, uh, Matt um, and all the pastors, my guys in the D group too, that uh, have invested in me and uh, just helped me grow. It's been a blessing. God has changed my life in, uh, in so many ways. So um, I want to start off by sharing a little bit of my story, uh, kind of uh, where this started. God started moving in my life. Um, it was junior year of college. <clears throat> I signed up to take this uh, class, Survey of the New Testament. I was very confident going into it. Uh, see, I was raised Catholic. I went through uh, Sunday school. I, um, if you talked to me at this time, I would have told you that I was a Christian. Uh, so, I'm say, uh, so I'm thinking, class about Jesus, about the Bible, this should be easy, right? Um, so the first day, the uh, teacher gave a pop quiz, and it had about 20 questions on it, maybe. Simple questions like how many Gospels are there, who wrote them, that sort of thing. And out of 20, I think I got maybe two right. 
And uh, the rest of the class, it just opened my eyes to all that I was uh, missing in the Bible and in the person of Jesus. And um, the thing that impacted me was that it showed me that uh, I wasn't being authentic. I was claiming to believe something that I uh, didn't really believe. I was claiming to believe in someone that I didn't really know. And uh, that didn't sit well with me. And then over the next uh, five years, God really drew me to himself in ways through various life events. And, uh, and he saved me, and uh, it's still hard to believe how uh, just amazing it was. And so that all led to me being up here today. And the reason I share this is because the main point I want to make today is that authentic faith in Christ results in you being a representative of Christ, and it changes everything. I'll repeat that. Authentic faith in Christ results in being a representative of Christ, and it changes everything. It changes how you view the world, how the world views you, and it can even change the world around you. And that's because we have faith in an unstoppable God who has an unstoppable plan, working through an unstoppable church, as our sermon series is titled. So if you all turn with me to uh, Acts 19, we're going to start in verse 11. And while you're doing that, I'm going to give some context on uh, where we left Paul off um, a couple weeks ago. He was in Ephesus. He was debating the Jews in the synagogues. Uh, people were being saved. He was making an impact. They were fighting against him. Uh, the city, Ephesus, was a large and important city in Asia Minor in this time. Uh, it was home to this temple of uh, the goddess Artemis. Uh, that temple was a source of a lot of cultural and religious pride amongst the Ephesians. We'll talk more about that later. And there also, um, the practice of magic was uh, very prevalent in this area. So the people had spells and that sort of thing. So I say all this to say that uh, the culture was not a Christian culture by any stretch of the imagination. But we're going to see how God's able to work through his representatives in the culture to start to change things. So we'll start in verse 11. <clears throat> God was performing extraordinary miracles by Paul's hands, so that even face cloths or aprons that had touched his skin were brought to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. We'll stop there. Upon first reading, this is kind of strange, right? Um, you're not sure why God's working in this way, what's going on here. When you find out, like I did, that the word um, that's translated face cloths and um, the word that translated aprons really means like sweat towel or sweat band and like a work covering, overalls, that sort of thing. Uh, you find out that it's pretty gross too. Um, <clears throat> but I want to remind us that there are prescriptive and descriptive scriptures. Prescriptive scriptures are uh, scriptures that are prescribing us to do something, commanding us to do something, like love your neighbor as yourself, that sort of thing. Descriptive scriptures are just documenting and describing what took place. And that's absolutely what we see here, so it's not something that we should expect to happen today. But if you look at verse 11, Luke says specifically that God is the one performing the miracles. So it's not Paul, it's not his skin, it's not the cloths, it's God choosing to work in this way. Luke says later that these are extraordinary miracles. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I don't know of any ordinary miracles. Uh, all miracles are extraordinary by definition, right? So what Luke is trying to show us is that this is unique. God is working uniquely in the context of the Ephesians to affirm Paul and his apostleship and his message. And this is a common theme in Acts. 
God uses uh, miracles to authenticate the message of the apostles. It's kind of like God saying, uh, these are my authentic representatives, listen to them, right? So next we're going to see kind of the opposite of this. So we'll continue in verse 13. Now some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists also attempted to pronounce the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I command you by the Jesus that Paul preaches. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish high priest, were doing this. The evil spirit answered them, I know Jesus, and I recognize Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all, and prevailed against them, so that they ran out of the house naked and wounded. When this became known to everyone who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, they became afraid, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high esteem. And many who had become believers came confessing and disclosing their practices, while many of those who had practiced magic collected their books and burned them in front of everyone. So they calculated the value and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. In this way, the word of the Lord spread and prevailed. So we see this contrast between what God's doing in Paul's life. He's using cloths to, to cast out evil spirits in people. And then we see what God, what's happening in these Jewish exorcists' life, right? Uh, they're not believers in Christ. They've just heard Jesus. They've heard him through Paul's preaching. And they're trying to use his name uh, for their own gain, right? But what happens? They get beat up by one guy. Seven guys get beat up by one guy. They le- he leaves them naked and bleeding. If you look at verse 15, the evil spirit answers them, I know Jesus, and I recognize Paul, but who are you? The word translated know means to have intimate knowledge of, be very familiar with, right? So the demon knows Jesus. The word translated recognize means to have heard of, know of, that sort of thing. So it recognizes Paul. So what does that mean for us today? It means that if you have authentic faith in Jesus Christ, you are known in the spiritual realm to represent him. Colossians 1.13, Paul says that he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. We are part of that kingdom. As Christians, we're part of that kingdom. We're representatives of that kingdom, of God's kingdom on this earth. And I think the challenge for us is to live every day knowing that we are representing Christ in all that we do. Now, it's pretty intimidating, but thank God that he lives in us to help us with this, right? Now, the reverse of this is what the uh, Jewish exorcists experienced. If you don't believe, you're not a legitimate representative of God, right? It's not something you can fake. You can't just uh, take it for yourself. I'm not saying that God can't work through people who don't believe in him. But what I'm saying is that when you have authentic faith, there is this uh, status this, this reality that you are part of the kingdom that you can't have apart from faith. An analogy to help us understand this is if you think about a police officer. A police officer has the, um, the right to uh, put you in jail if you break the law, right? And it's not that human being who is a police officer who has authority. That police officer is an authentic representative of the government who created the law and has the power to enforce the law. So if you take someone like me, who is not a police officer, and I pretend to be one, try to arrest someone, what would happen? I'd get arrested, right? And that's because I'm not an authentic representative of the government. I don't have that power. And I believe that that's what the Jewish exorcists are trying to do in this passage. And that's what I was trying to do before I knew Christ. 
Now the result of all of this, this humiliating failure by these uh, seven men, if you look in verse 17, Luke says, the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high esteem. So the failure resulted in reverence for Jesus' name. Now, it also convicted and compelled the people um, in Ephesus who were believers to, com- to uh, turn away from their practices, to come confess them. These people who practiced magic brought their books. These books were actually spells uh, that they, had in- they were in possession of. They believed that the spells uh, had power when they were kept in secret. And so bringing them out into the light, into the public, was like nullifying and ruining them, right? But they don't stop there. They, they pile them all up and burn them. And this was a significant thing because uh, 50,000 pieces of silver could be as much as $5 million today. So this is, these were expensive things, but they realized that in their new life in Christ, they can't take part in this anymore, right? It's not in line with God's will for their life, and they need to represent Christ, so they turn away from it. They turn away even though it was comfortable for them, even though uh, everyone around them was practicing it. It was part of their culture, part of their traditions, all of that, they still uh, chose God instead of that. So their faith changed how they viewed their world, right? And that led them to live out their faith, which is going to change how the world views them. And in verse 20, um, Paul ends this, sec- or I'm sorry, Luke ends this section uh, with this amazing verse, in, the way, in this way, the word of the Lord spread and prevailed. We have an unstoppable God with an unstoppable plan working through an unstoppable church. And that is on full display in this chapter, most definitely. So we'll continue in verse 21, and we'll uh, see what happens as a result of this. Excuse me. Uh, After these events, Paul resolved by the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem. After I've been there, he said, it is necessary for me to see Rome as well. After sending to Macedonia two of those who assisted him, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About this time, there was a major disturbance about the way. For a person named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, provided a great deal of business for the craftsmen. When he had assembled them, as well as the workers engaged in this type of business, he said, Men, You know that our prosperity is derived from this business. You see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this man Paul has persuaded and misled a considerable number of people by saying that gods made by hands are not gods. Not only do we run the risk that our business may be discredited, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be despised and her magnificence come on the verge of ruin, the very one all of Asia and the world worship. When they had heard this, they were filled with rage and began to cry out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with confusion, and they all rushed together into the amphitheater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, who were Paul's traveling companions. Although Paul wanted to go in before the people, the disciples did not let him. Even some of the provincial officials in Asia, who were, with his fr- who were his friends, uh, sent word to him, pleading with him not to venture into the amphitheater. Some were shouting one thing, some another, because the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some Jews in the crowd gave instructions to Alexander after they pushed him to the front, motioning with his hands. Alexander wanted to make his defense to the people, but when they recognized that he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Authentic faith changes how we view the world. 
living that out, representing Christ in the way we live, changes how the world views us. And then God, through us, changes the world. This is what we see here in Acts 19. We see Paul's faithfulness, preaching the gospel, people being saved, turning away from what was uh, normal to them, turning away from what was comfortable to follow after God. It was making such an impact that uh, it caused a riot, right? I want to remind us that God can still make that sort of impact today through us. We need to believe that. I know it's hard to believe sometimes, but it's true. So while Paul makes these plans to go to Rome, which the rest of the book of Acts is going to focus on, this guy Demetrius, he was a silversmith. He made these replicas of this temple of Artemis I've been talking about, and he sold them to people. Uh, He brings all these people together, and he basically says, this Paul guy is bad for business, right? Um, These people are believing in this Jesus guy. Uh, They're not buying our stuff anymore. It's going to hurt us financially. But then he also, in verse 27, appeals to their uh, cultural and religious pride surrounding the temple of Artemis, right? And that's what enrages them. And this is a significant thing because the temple of Artemis, like I said, was foundational to the Ephesian culture. It was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Uh, It was so wealthy that it became the main financial institution of Asia at that time. And Ephesus was not even permitted to erect a temple to Caesar because it already had the distinction of being home to the temple of Artemis. That's how foundational it was to them. So it's no wonder that when uh, this goddess, this temple is threatened, people get enraged, right? So they were riled up, they rushed into the streets, they grabbed people that were with Paul, they go into this amphitheater, it was a huge place, it held about 24,000 people. There was chaos, there was confusion, people didn't know what was going on, they were shouting one thing and another, right? And in the midst of all of this, the Jews try to distance themselves from the Christians, because they don't want to be lumped in, right? So they pick this poor guy, Alexander, they tell him to get up there and try to tell this to the crowd, but what happens? They shout him down for two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Crazy. This brought to mind Matthew 12, 25, when Jesus says that every kingdom divided against itself is headed for destruction. This is the kingdom of darkness, the opposition divided against itself. The Jews were against the Christians. The Jews were fighting against Paul in Ephesus in the, uh, in the synagogue earlier in this chapter, right? The pagans were against the Christians because they were losing business. They were uh, threatening uh, their temple to Artemis, right? So they're divided against themselves. And Jesus says that this will never prevail. And so for us as Christians, part of living out our, th- our authentic faith as representatives in Christ, I want to urge us to be united in our faith in Christ as part of the unstoppable church. Because I believe that the church is most unstoppable when united together. And so that means that we can't let cultural, political, traditional things get in the way of our mission, right? We need to be united in the essentials under Christ as the kingdom of God. And all of this in, uh, that we just read is reminiscent of some world events today, right? In the past two years, we've seen a lot of chaos, mob mentality, violence, anger, division. We've seen it in our country and in, around the world. But I want to focus on what Paul's doing in the midst of all this. How is he representing Christ? There's a riot in this amphitheater. They basically want to kill Paul, right? And what does he want to do? He wants to go in and confront them. And I think he's a little bit crazy, but I also think that because of his authentic faith, 
God was a reality to him. He had seen him working miracles through these articles of clothing that uh, people took from him. He had seen people being saved. He had seen the impact in the culture around him. And so God was a reality, so he didn't fear the mob. Right? But he also listened to wise counsel from his brothers and sisters and from his friends that he made. And I think Paul's living out what we've been saying at WBC, which is to have faith over fear and wisdom over foolishness. Paul had faith over fear. He wasn't afraid of the mom, but he had wisdom over foolishness. He had self-control because he listened to wise counsel and didn't just act on his emotions and run in there. He uh, controlled himself and he stayed back. I think Paul is exemplifying godly behavior in the midst of this chaos. And so in the midst of the craziness that's going on in our world around us, let's follow Paul's example and represent Christ with faith over fear and wisdom over foolishness. Now let's continue in verse 35, and we'll see how all this wraps up. When the city clerk had calmed the crowd down, he said, People of Ephesus, what person is there who doesn't know that the city of the Ephesians is a temple guardian of the great Artemis and of the image that fell from heaven? Therefore, since these things are undeniable, you must keep calm and not do anything rash. For you have brought these men here who are not temple robbers or blasphemers of our goddess. So if Demetrius and the craftsmen who are with him have a case against anyone, the courts are in session and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it must be decided in a legal assembly. In fact, we run the risk of being charged with rioting for what happened today since there is no justification that we can give for a reason for this disturbance. After saying this, he dismissed the assembly. So the city clerk, who was kind of like a mayor at this time, uh, calms the crowd down by reminding them that rioting was a serious offense in the Roman Empire. If you disturb the peace in the Roman Empire, there are serious consequences. The city could lose their self-governing rights because of it. But on top of this, in verse 35, he says, what person is there who doesn't know that the city of the Ephesians is temple guardian of the great Artemis and of the image that fell from heaven? Therefore, since these things are undeniable, you must keep calm and not do anything rash. He's basically saying, since our faith is true, right? Since uh, we know that Artemis is, is the goddess, everyone worships her, don't worry about these Christians, they're just going to fade away because our faith is going to prevail, right? They believe that they uh, the this... Um, image that fell from heaven it may have been like a meteorite that resembled the goddess, we're not sure. But basically, they were confident that uh, she was going to prevail. But I think history proves otherwise. <clears throat> so we've seen our God be victorious in, in Ephesus over sin, sickness, greed, idolatry, and pride. And in the midst of violent opposition, our God still prevailed. And if we need proof, if you look up here, this is what, uh, it should be up there. There we go. uh, That's what the Temple of Artemis used to look like, right? It was magnificent, huge, one of the seven wonders of the world. And if you look at it today, all that's left is a pile of rocks, right? But we're here 2,000 years later, over 5,000 miles away from where this happened, worshiping the same Jesus that the Ephesians were worshiping, believing the same gospel that Paul was preaching, and we are part of the same unstoppable church that was unstoppable back then in Ephesus. So through preparing the sermon, uh, this, God challenged me continuously 
And uh, he highlighted a bunch of things for me through studying these um, examples of authentic faith and, and the impact they, they had in this non-Christian culture. And I'm going to share some of them with you. <clears throat> the first is, do we live like we're representing the God who is still unstoppable today? Like, do we really live that way, day in and day out in all that we do, knowing that God's still unstoppable? Do we believe that he can and will defeat the evils of today? like the false religions, political division, immorality, idolatry, violence? Or do we think that we're just too far gone? Do we believe that he can draw those who don't believe in Jesus to himself, like that politician that you hate, or your friend, your family member, coworker, classmate? Or do we think that they're just unsavable? Do we pray to God for their salvation, or do we just want to see judgment? Now these are all challenging things, and they're challenging things for me to hear as well. But the uncomfortable truth in all of this is that we're all undeserving. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all in the same boat. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. And it's only by God's incredible grace that any of us have the hope of eternal life and any of us have the privilege to represent Him in this life. John says in 1 John that we love because He first loved us. God first loved us even when we hated him. He gave his son to die for us even when we hated him and we killed him, right? But that opened the door for us to have eternal life through faith in him and through his sacrifice. So now as representatives of that God who loved us in that, in that way, we're called to love others in the same way. So as we live in this world full of chaos and confusion, violence and division, in a culture that's antithetical to the gospel. How do we change this? How do we change the world around us? Well, the first thing we have to do is have authentic faith in Jesus Christ. When we have authentic faith in Jesus Christ, we are born again and we are given a new mind. We see, it changes how we see the world around us. And then we must trust him as the Lord to guide our lives, to guide how we are supposed to live, to guide how we are to represent him in the culture around us. And when we live that out, that changes how the world views us. So we're not trusting in ourselves, we're not trusting in politicians, we're not trusting in celebrities or worldly leaders, we're not uh, trusting in them to tell us how we act. We're trusting in the Word of God and the Holy Spirit that lives in us to guide us in that. And when we live that out, that changes how the world views us. And then it's through authentic faith and representing Him well that God works through us, the unstoppable church, to change the world. And as a Jewish exorcist found out, this is not something you can do by just saying some words. You can't fake it. You, ha- you, can't, be, um, you can't do it half-heartedly. You have to be all in. You have to completely trust in Jesus Christ. You have to trust in Him and Him alone for your salvation because He's the unique Son of God who lived the perfect life that we could never live, who died the death that we deserve. He rose again so that all who would believe in Him may have eternal life. That's a Jesus worth worshiping. That's a Jesus worth living for. And that's a Jesus that changes everything. So if you're in here today and you never believed in Jesus Christ, I want, you, I want to uh, urge you. Uh, also, if, you're, if, you, yeah, if you do believe or you claim to believe in Jesus Christ, but you know you really don't, kind of like how I was, 
I want to urge you to come, talk to me, talk to one of the pastors, talk to someone beside you, and we'd love to share with you this Jesus that changed our life. But if you are like me now, and uh, you believe, but you feel like you haven't been representing Christ the way he should be um, all the time, then I want you to commit with me and pray and ask for God to keep in perspective who he is. I want you to meditate on the reality that God's the same today as he was in Acts 19, and that he deserves to be represented well by his people. I have two gospel responses for us today. The first one is to keep in perspective the fact that you represent the God who is still unstoppable. This week, if you're feeling overwhelmed, you're feeling angry, chaotic, uh, when you're watching the news, when you're on social media, talking to people, whatever it is, try to keep in perspective who God is. Don't get sucked into the hopelessness that this world wants to provide you, but be a beacon of hope because you represent the God of hope. And my second gospel response is to pray for those in your life that you've withheld prayer for. I'm talking about your friends, your family members, your classmates, coworkers, people who have hurt you. This sounds crazy to the world, but we're called to be different from the world. Jesus says in Matthew 5:44, "But I tell you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This will help you and this will change, God will change your heart towards them. You will see them as human beings, sinners in need of a Savior, much like we were before Christ, and not just your enemy, right? And this will empower you to show them the love that God shows you because you represent the God who is love. So church... Let's go represent our king the way he deserves to be represented. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for who you are. I believe you're still unstoppable, Lord. Help my unbelief. We believe. Help our unbelief. Draw us close to you, Lord. Teach us how to live as your representatives on this earth. Teach us how to change the world around us how to impact the culture around us, how to live out this faith that you have given us. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Lord, just as Jesus prayed. I thank you so much for this opportunity. I'm so humbled that, that I can be up here, Lord, and representing you, and I hope I did it well. I lift all this up to you in your uh, son's name. Amen. heart is under fire another way when the walls are closing in and when I look at the space between where I used to be and this reckoning I know I will never be alone there was another in the fire standing next to me there was another in the waters holding back the seas and should i ever need reminding of how i've been set free there is a cross that bears the burden well,
Father died for me. There is another in the fire. Should I ever need reminding? 
Thank you again, church, for being here. I uh, pray that you have a great week this week. Also, remember, run in the midst of darkness and light it up. Um, celebrate today. Encourage my brother and my sister here, sister here uh, as well as you go. And uh, have a great week. We'll see you all next week. You have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more about following after Jesus, uh, please contact us and we would love to talk more about your relationship with Christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey.